And we're in our final week of the Beatitudes. And uh, some of you are like, good, I'm kind of bored with the whole thing. <laughs> Jesus has given us some hard teachings, and I'd like something a little simpler, okay? But unfortunately, you got one more hard teaching, because it's going to be a little bit challenging today. And in the first part of the Beatitudes, we were exploring what our attitude towards God looks like, and we were ultimately acknowledging that we are broken apart from God and ultimately desperate for God. And so we're focused on our attitude towards God and our own sin. And then the second part of the Beatitudes, we've really been focusing on our attitudes not only towards God, but then the overflow of that and how it impacts our relationships with others. Now, last week, you guys may remember uh, that we talked about being peacemakers. Sean Lovejoy was here and, and, and uh, really hooked us up across all four locations with a wonderful practical teaching on what it means to be a peacemaker. It was based in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. I'm just going to reread this for you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now you're like, well, what's that got to do with this week? We did that already. Well, this week, you're right. We're talking about blessed are the persecuted. But I want to go back and revisit the idea of being a peacemaker for just a moment, because in order for us to really understand what it means to be blessed, to be persecuted, we really need to understand this one other angle of peacemaking that's very important. See, he said, they shall be called sons of God, peacemakers, will be children of God. And what Jesus does is he anchors us to our identity as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, right? He says, if, if, if you're a peacemaker in the name of Jesus, this is who this makes you. This gives us access to the fullness of the promise of God. And all of us are about a promise. We love a good promise from God, and he's faithful to keep them. And one of his promises for his children is that they would have peace. How many of you got peace? Anybody got peace in here today? That comes from Jesus and Jesus alone, the true peace that we're talking about here. And, and it's important that we have peace because in order to be a peacemaker, you got to have peace the peace to make. You know what I mean? And so, so last week, Sean brought this idea of peacemaking. And peace really is this idea of shalom, which is wholeness, completeness, where we're lacking nothing in our relationship with God. But he was talking about the angle of peacemaking, bringing shalom to our relationships, right? And, and that's good, because peace is synonymous with reconciliation, taking something that's not right and making it right. That's what reconciliation is. And he was talking about reconciliation between one person and another, another person, conflict resolution, right? But this other angle of peacemaking that's so critical for us to explore before we talk about being persecuted is that we need peace to be made between us and God, right? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. Now, he's not talking about, like, the new shoes are on, and you got new makeup on, and the new hairdo done, and the new jacket's on, and you got the new car, or whip, however you like to say that, and you got, the, you got all these new things going on, and so you feel new. Now, he's, he's not saying you became your best version of you. He's not saying we took the, the broken version of you apart from God, dressed it up, made it a little better, and now you're new. No. This is this idea of being completely transformed 
from our old self to a new self. And while we still wrestle with the old self to some degree, because we're not living in the, the fullness of eternity, the fullness of the promise, we're kind of stuck to this earth, aren't we? But, but in eternity, in God's eyes, he sees us as new creatures, and we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That means we were made whole. We now have peace with God. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling, right? Taking something that's not right and making it right. Reconciling the world that was not right with him to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their sin against them. Not counting their failures against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Romans 5 summarizes that message of reconciliation like this. Having been justified by faith, we have, you won't find this on the board, shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You might want to write that down. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 is pivotal scripture for us to remember as believers. This is the gospel. Peace with God comes through Jesus. Not just the peace of mind and the peace of heart, literally peace in our relationship. We're no longer at enmity with God. We no longer have hostility between us and God. And this message of reconciliation is intended for us to carry to those who are far from God so that we can bring them a message that will make them right with God, right? To make peace. That's what this part of being a peacemaker is. And so while we're always going to look for so practical conflict resolution, like we got some wonderful instruction about last week, right? We're always going to look to do that in our relationships. We also have to remember that Jesus said conflict is inevitable. Did you know that? Did you know that some conflict can't be resolved? Matthew chapter 10 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace said, I came to bring a sword. What's he talking about? Well, he did come to bring peace. But for those that reject his offer of peace, his offer of reconciliation, he says in those families where one has received the offer and the other has rejected it, there will be division. In those relationships where one has received the offer and the other has rejected it, there will be division inevitably. There will be conflict. There will be hostility even. And many disciples of Jesus for thousands of years and even still today experience hostility because of the confession of our faith. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ back in 2007, I remember I was running with, you know, man, just a bunch of hoodlums. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we, we uh, I got back to the coast, and I told them what happened. I said, I said look, this, this is what Jesus has done in my life. <laughs> they just kind of laughed at me. And some of them I, could, I couldn't be around at all because just the nature of the relationship that we had, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't um, honor God and maintain that relationship. It was impossible. Um, the history just wouldn't allow for that. Uh, other relationships, I was like, man, I can, I can maintain this relationship, but it's got to change. I, I can't engage you the same way. We can't engage one another the same way. We can't necessarily be in the same places doing the same things like we used to, right? And, and for some people that worked, as a matter of fact, some people were led to Christ and, and began fellowshipping with, at the church and now are at other churches or, uh, you know, maybe, you know, doing some other things. But, but some of them didn't receive it at all. Some of them had hostility towards me. And, you know, I had to walk through that. I had to be okay with that. Now, I'm not suggesting that that hostility necessarily was persecution. I'm not saying that. Though some maybe would have been considered that. 
But I am saying that as peacemakers, we will inevitably encounter persecution. If we're going to hold to the confession of the faith and we're going to be representatives of the kingdom of God, at some point, somebody's going to disagree to the, to the point where they're willing to literally persecute. And that brings us to verse 10 of chapter 5 in Matthew. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil behavior against you falsely on my account. That, that doesn't sound like a blessing, does it? <laughs> that doesn't sound like the type of thing that would make you happy, does it? Because we all want to be happy. And so we try to make decisions that are going to lead to happiness. We try to live a life that's going to lead towards blessing. And he's saying, Jesus here is saying, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when you're reviled for, for my name's sake. See, this is interesting, though, because what happens is many of us will say, okay, well, fine. Well, I'm persecuted often, and so I must be blessed. And so I think a lot of us think that we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake when we're actually not. Can I just tell you real quick? Persecution is not when someone simply disagrees with your perspectives, with your interpretation of the scripture, with your worldview. That disagreement is, is, is not persecution, okay? As a matter of fact, it's called free speech, and we love that about our country, don't we? You know, you want the free speech to be able to confess and, and, and live the way that God's calling you to live, and so, so, you know, we should make room for others to have that same liberty, don't you think? And so free, free speech is not necessarily persecution, and it's not necessarily a negative response. Persecution is not a negative response to your unloving representation of the gospel. H have you, maybe, maybe I'll just, okay, I have. Let me just, before I even ask you, I have gotten on a soapbox a time or two and told people exactly what I thought in Jesus' name. You ever been, like, zealous for the gospel? Like, I'm going to tell this fool. <laughs> You're going to listen. That's right. That's right. But you know what? When you get that response and it feels like persecution, that's not persecution. You just lack a little people skills. Sorry, Miss Brenda. That's not you. I know that. <laughs> we, we're in this together. We're learning all these things together. Persecution is, however, harassment and suffering, which comes from people inflicting it upon others for being different in their faith, in their worldview, in their culture, or their race. Harassment and suffering is, is a pretty significant distinctive that we have to kind of use as a filter for determining what persecution is. Now, persecution seeks to revile, which is the word that was used in the scripture, which is simply scornful, angry, abusive language, and defame, which is to damage one's reputation. Persecution seeks to intimidate. We definitely see these things happening in the world around us right now and growing in increasing intensity. We see persecution intending to silence people, to punish people, or even to kill people. And now you need to understand that this doesn't just happen to Christians. Persecution happens to people from all different backgrounds. As a matter of fact, there's been times where perhaps the church may have even persecuted others for their faith. And so we have to navigate this with humility, but we also have to understand that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to people who are following him and saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for my name's sake, on my account, right? Now, the question that we have to ask is, what is righteousness sake? Because if we're going to get persecuted, I want to know it's for a good reason. You know what I mean? Well, righteousness sake is this. When we suffer for living for God, 
That's simple. But more specifically, what does it mean to live for God? Well, to live for God, you have to first believe that God is who he says he is. He's a holy, righteous God. So when we believe that God is righteous, you know, that's, the, that's a faith that, that contributes to us living for God. Right? But, but we don't just believe that God is righteous. We also believe that all humanity apart from God is unrighteous. Now, that gets a little offensive for some people, doesn't it? But I have to hold on to that confession. That's the belief. That's the gospel is that unrighteous people are able to be made the righteousness of God in and through Christ. That's the good news. And so when we live for God, we're being called to hold on to this confession that for many people is very offensive. It offended me when I was an unbeliever. You mean to tell me I'm not good and you are? What what are you trying to say? Well, some people said it unlovingly, and so I missed the point. (laughs) But others just said it the way that it is, and I missed the point because I wasn't ready to receive this truth. I need Christ. I need his forgiveness. I need the wholeness that comes through him. And so, suffering for righteousness' sake means suffering when we live for God. Not for your own sake, for building your own platform. Not for having another cause other than the cause of Christ, like saving the whales or saving the trees and, and whatever other causes there are, there are a dime a dozen. Not for, not for having a cause and, and, and being persecuted because other people don't like your cause. Not for your politics. Anybody's toes just get touched a little bit? <laughs> I'm just tap dancing a little bit, just not, not a lot. But really we're looking to understand what does it mean to be persecuted persecuted for righteousness sake and in order to do that we've got to look at the disciples the 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 early apostles followers of jesus for many years we've seen starting with stephen the first martyr in the new testament church james eventually peter we learned that many of the disciples and apostles were preaching the gospel unwavering in their confession of faith lovingly yet honestly grace and truth and they were martyred for their faith if you look at even now there's recent persecution literally happening right now. A man named Thomas Hein Geldern from an organization called Aid to the Church in Need said that 2019 was a year of the martyrs, one of the bloodiest for Christians in history. You can go and look at some other organizations and find updated statistics and find that it's growing, it's intense. There's genocide happening in Nigeria. The Fulani horsemen, uh, herdsmen are going into middle African schools and taking children out of schools by the hundreds and, 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 and murdering people. Families are losing mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. There's great persecution. North Korea has been one of the worst places for persecution over the last 20 years, and it's not getting any better. Open Doors is an organization that watches persecution all throughout the world, and it said that an estimated 150,000 Christians in India were denied aid during COVID-19 pandemic because of, why? Their faith. Now, forget about whether or not you want aid or not. These are people that want aid. They wanted aid, and because of their faith, India says, no, we're a Hindu nation, not a Christian nation. You want help, you become Hindu. And they were denied medical attention. Afghanistan, we just collected $40,000 to get people out of Afghanistan. And you know what? Praise God. Multiple families and some individuals, we were able to, by the generosity of this church and Northwood Church, give $40,000 to help get people out of harm's way so that they wouldn't have to. Yeah, come on. Glory to God for that. 
But can I tell you, there's a lot of brothers and sisters left in Afghanistan. And we don't even know exactly what's going on. And the Taliban is infamous for persecution, persecuting Christians. It's happening all over the world. And can I just say, and I don't mean to be an alarmist or stir a sense of urgency for some sensational outcome, like that's not my goal here, but persecution will likely come to us at some point. It's real. Whether it's now in this generation and we see it or it's later and our children see it or it's later than that and our children's children see it, either way, it'll eventually happen. And I know that because Jesus said it would happen. Jesus said in John chapter 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We will sit at some point in a place of suffering, harm, harassment, if we're going to live for righteousness sake in the name of Jesus. And as a parent, I got a seven, five, and three-year-old, right? I want more kids. I want to adopt kids. Don't tell Amy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and as a parent who's discipling my children to know the way that they should go to seek Christ and his righteousness and, and to seek relationship with, with the Father through Jesus, as someone who's discipling my children, I also know that I'm not just discipling them to live in the resurrection power of Jesus. I'm discipling them to die. And we don't think about that often. You know, my daughter, Sayla, we've been for years giving her access to this show called Torchlighters. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's kind of old school. Torchlighters is this cartoon, and it talks about all the heroes of the faith. It's one example, and, and you got people that were missionaries, Bible translators, martyrs that gave their life for the cause of the faith, for righteousness' sake for the, the sake of the name of Jesus. And, and we watch that, and we have conversations with her. And we tell her, listen, babe, the cost of following Christ is actually quite high. The cost of discipleship is actually quite high. And while we preach the good news of the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus and that the same power that rose Christ from the grave as she professes Christ, that same power dwells inside of her and has raised her to life as well. But we also say to live is Christ and to die is gain. We also say that one must suffer with Christ in order to be raised with Christ. We don't withhold that from her, and she's seven. And the reason is, is because it's true. And many of you might be in here right now. Maybe some of you are students. Maybe some of you have children. Maybe some of you are just maybe newer in your faith, and you're like, wow, wow, we're called to suffer with Christ? We're called to die that we might live? Well, that is an unfortunate truth that is found in the scriptures, but there's a beauty in it, that there's blessing, that we inherit the kingdom of God, that we'll be called sons and daughters, that we'll know the mercy of the Lord. There's, there's blessing in this life that we pursue. And, you know, it's interesting because some of us are like, well, what if I don't see persecution? I don't have to make those kinds of decisions. And I think that might be why some of us maybe don't think about this as often because we have had a fairly safe ecosystem to live in. Like America has provided a really great, you know, place for us to be isolated from, from the, 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 the inevitable realities of, of this world, especially against Christians. But, but think about it. When you're, when you're around some friends 
and, and you say, man, I follow Jesus, I love God, I'm, I'm a believer, I go to church, and, and, and they say, oh, that's weird, that's stupid stuff, and, and then you say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're kind of right, man, let's go do that thing, let's, let's go hang out together, let's go be, you know what, that might not be persecution, but what that's indicating is that you don't have the strength, the grit in your faith to stand, and if you can't stand in a time that's easy, how will you stand in a time that's hard? A friend of mine reminded me uh, last night as I was up praying through some things, <laughs> sent me a text. Good timing, by the way. Lando, I'll just give you credit. He sent me a, a note that, that he got from a conference that we went to together uh, a couple years ago. And that note said that your yes to God is only as powerful as your no to the world. Man. You know, we're not just waiting on persecution and kind of deciding how to respond. No, we're, we're growing in Christ and we're becoming more resolute in our faith and we're becoming more confident and more anchored and more grounded because when the wind comes and when the waves come and, and, and crash against our lives, we want to be ready for that. Are you encouraged? Really? Because <laughs> I was preparing this and I was like, I don't know if this sounds encouraging. But it is encouraging because we know that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. We know he's going with us and he dwells within us. Now, all of us probably agree that persecution is real and will come. The question then becomes, how do we respond to persecution? And I've got some ideas. See, I don't know if you guys know this about me. If you know the old me before I became the new me in Christ, you know I was a little bit scrappy and... <laughs> kind of like a warrior spirit, you know, kind of hard-headed, and man, I just don't like people telling me what to do, and all these things, and, and while all of this stuff comes down from different places, man, I kind of get into this place where I'm like, am I supposed to fight back right now? I'm not going to be moved, you know? You're tempted to think that way. You're tempted to respond that way, and then, and then sometimes I'm like, man, I'm reading these scriptures, and I'm like, man, but that's how I'm supposed to respond. Am I supposed to submit wholeheartedly and completely to this process? To the things I see, what, what do I do? Is there another way? Should I be active? Maybe I should get into the political realm. Maybe I should get into a 501c3 and do this and do that because we can really make a difference. We could push back the tide of, of persecution and the, the tide of immorality and the all. Should, is that what I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know what I'm, I'm seeking God about. I'm seeking him about understanding. I also know that in the scripture I have a really clean example of, of a good way to respond to persecution and it doesn't involve me having to navigate the, the, the depth and complexity and depravity of my emotions. And I'm going to look at a man named Peter. Maybe you've heard of him. He was one of the early church fathers, close, close to Jesus. And Peter wrote a letter to the persecuted and scattered church. They were being reviled. They were being defamed. Many of them had began to be uh, ostracized from the community. If you look back on when we taught James, we did a really big overview of what was going on in the New Testament church at that time. And Peter wrote this to the scattered church in chapter 3. He said, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? I love how he opens up with that. He says, hold up there, buddy. If God be for you, who can be against you? So we start with that, right? But then he also says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, even if God decides that his will for your life is to go through suffering to 
create the character of Christ in you to accomplish his will on all the earth that he might be glorified, honored, and that people might see his power displayed through his people. If that's his will, he said, you will be blessed. And so he says this, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, those who abuse you or speak abusively towards you, that they may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. How about that for some instruction on a response to persecution? So specifically, how then do we respond to persecution? Well, first and foremost, let's heed Peter's instruction. Let's prioritize Jesus above anyone else. He said, don't fear them. Have no fear. And then he says, honor Christ. Do you know that many of us, including myself at times, out of a fear of man, look to be a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. In an insecurity, we might look to avoid the experience of rejection when we tell somebody, oh, no, that's not for me. Oh, 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 you're just one of those kinds of Bible thumb, goody, goody two-shoe, this or that, or, or what, oh, you go to church, that's kind of weird. Isn't that like a cult? Or, or all these different things that, that you might hear, and you know what? You're like, that's kind of funny that you said that. That's kind of, yeah, that's weird like that. It's kind of a cult. Yeah, I'm not going to go back there anymore because we're people pleasers. And, and here he's saying, don't fear them, honor Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to prioritize Jesus above anyone else, above their perspectives, above their desires, above their influence, honor Christ. Two, speak to people out of love. And this really, this really comes from this last part. You see, when we fear people, it's really hard to love them. <laughs> and here he instructs us to respond to people in gentleness and respect. Here at the church, we've been talking a lot about leading out of love, not fear, and living out of love and not fear. And, and see, what happens is when you fear people, rather than loving them, you either surrender to their control of you, which makes it very hard for you to love them, or you try to control them, which makes it really hard for you to love them. But when you relinquish all fear... And you just love people for people that are created in the image of God. People that God has a plan and a will for their lives. And you see that, that, that God is higher than, than all of them and what they're doing. And, and you just love them with a pure heart. Then you can love them like Christ loves them. And you could speak to them out of love. You ever been afraid of somebody? And, and you just have this, this deep like confusion in your soul, in your mind about how to even engage them, how to talk to them, how to be around them. Well, when you don't fear and you love, now you can keep the mission oriented. Man, I'm, I love this person, and I want to serve this person, and I want to point this person to Jesus because they need Jesus as much as I need Jesus, right? And so we want to speak to people out of love. Third, we want to live righteously. And... Don't get me wrong. You know, we want to be careful not to enter into this realm of legalism. But at the same time, I would also say that the church has swung so far away from legalism 
that we've actually swung into lawlessness in many senses. It's greasy grace. Well, the grace of God is good, and so I can do whatever I want to do, and he's going to forgive me for it. That's, that's greasy, don't you think? As a matter of fact, Paul said, should I abuse the grace of God that grace may abound? Heavens, no, I should not. So we don't want to be legalistic, but we can't be lawless either. We need to live righteously with a clear conscience. The Bible speaks about living above reproach, not doing anything that would even be misconstrued as unchristlike or un dishonorable to God. Now, this isn't necessarily a call to perfection. And I've talked about this a lot here at this church. We're not going to be a perfect people. We're not a perfect church. If you came here looking for a perfect church, by the way, well, since you just showed up, you're not going to find one. <laughs> I'm just saying nobody's perfect. That's what I'm saying, you know? And, 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 so, and so we're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about progress. And so we should be growing in righteousness. We should be growing in Christ-likeness. We should be living righteously. I want to give you a fourth one, and I'm going to save one more for after our time in prayer. This fourth one is that we must suffer well. You're like, man, bring Sean Lovejoy back. I liked his points. <laughs> suffer well. What does it mean to suffer with Christ? We look at his life as an example. He suffered persecution. He was slandered. He was spat upon. He was rejected amongst his own people. He was abandoned by people he poured his life into. He suffered great physical harm on that cross. He suffered separation from the Father so that in him we wouldn't have to be separate from the Father. He suffered, but then he was also raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we'll submit ourselves to this Christian life and accept that suffering is part of this life, and if we'll suffer well with Christ and seek his face and seek his grace that's sufficient and seek his mercy and seek his power and seek encouragement in the body of believers, if we'll suffer well, then we will also live well with Christ. We will experience the fullness of his resurrection. Peter, he spoke to this as well in verse 13. And he really lays out the gospel here. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Christ, for the unrighteous. Well, that's us. That was me. That was you. And if some of you in here haven't yet trusted Christ for your forgiveness and your salvation, that is you right now. You're unrighteous. And it's not an unloving thing to say. It's actually one of the most loving things I can tell you because I'm helping you see something that you might not be able to see but that the Holy Spirit wants you to see and that God wants you to see because in his great love and his mercy, he made a way for you to no longer be unrighteous but to become the righteousness of God in Christ. But he's calling you to surrender that he might bring you to God, verse 13, being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the Spirit. Is there anybody in this room that wants that today? Come on, if you're not alive in this room today, I want to pray with you. God, God says those who are in Christ, they die to self and they're raised to life in Christ. And I know that sounds like kind of like an abstract idea. I know that sounds like it's hard to understand. But right now in your heart, what you're sensing is, man, 
I feel like I'm supposed to ask for forgiveness from God. I feel like God loves me, and I feel like I've been living in a way that doesn't honor God and doesn't glorify him, and I feel like I'm, I'm being called to turn my life towards him. You might be feeling some of those things in your heart right now. And that's great. That's called conviction. That's not condemnation. Conviction is good. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And it causes us to become aware of our brokenness so that we turn away from that and turn towards the beauty and majesty and forgiveness and love of Christ. And so I want to give you an opportunity, if you're in this room right now, to receive Christ Jesus. Why don't we join together in prayer? If you don't mind closing your eyes, maybe, maybe bow your head or don't. But let's give the people around us some respect and just know that maybe, maybe they're dealing with something right now. Maybe God's dealing with them. And if that's you and you're in this room right now, I just want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus. And it's very simple. You've already heard the gospel all throughout this message. He went on the cross for you to pay a price that you couldn't pay so that you could be loved in a way that you couldn't love yourself, that no one in this world can love you, that you can't love others. He can love you in a way that only Christ can love. And he's wanting to pour that out on you now. And all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I want that. I surrender. You can just repeat this in your heart. You can repeat this in your mouth. Jesus, I surrender. I want your forgiveness. I want to know your love. And I want to live for you for all the days of my life. I want to know your glory. I want to know your honor. I want to know your power in this life and the life to come. I call you Lord. I call you Savior. Just agree. In Jesus' name, amen.